Did you have a white tux on? I had a barong and linen outfit. Oh, nice. Yeah. I can't believe you got married in those glasses. I think that's yeah, dope. These were actually a gift from Denise's uncle, who's an eye doctor in the Philippines. It was a weird, like, we got shoved in a car, and we we're like, all right, we're going to go with him and her dad. And we just show up in Chinatown in the Philippines, and there's just hundreds of glasses <laughs> manufacturing facility places. You know what I'm saying? And, like, we go inside. We're thinking, like, he's picking up stuff for work. And he's like, yeah, pick out glasses. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, pick out glasses. So we start walking around the store, and finally I found these. And he's like, okay, wedding gift. So he had a made and everything. And on my wedding day, he showed up as a gift brought up by someone. And I slapped them on, and I haven't taken them off for the rest of my trip. Is your girl Filipino? She's Chinese Filipino. Did she wear glasses? No, no, she wore contacts. And she actually did her own makeup and all this stuff. And, like, she did a really good job. Everyone wanted her to buy a, what do you call it? A beautician person. We've hired them for all the risks. A beautician. A beautician. <laughs> a beautician. There you go. I like yours better, though. A beautician. But, yeah, it was a really, it was like something out of a movie. We got a police escort from the hotel to the church and church to the hotel. Otherwise, it would have taken, like, two and a half hours to go, like, four miles. Both of you guys invited me to your wedding, and I went to neither. Sean O'Connell, because... He told me about four days before his wedding, and great face Dave, because he did that, I'm going to have my wedding in the Philippines, so that's me telling you I don't want you to come to my wedding. I let you know five weeks ahead of time, and like, I understand if you lived across the country or something, but flights from Oakland to Salt Lake City and back are routinely $240. That's like the going rate, so it's not like you couldn't have made it. No, I know. I think I had some. I regret more, number one, not going to Long Beach because that's in Cali. I could have easily made your fight there. But then also I didn't go to the Chicago one. And then the worst one was New Year's Eve. I should have just said F it and spent a ton of loot and just did it big. It was New Year's. I had a girlfriend at the time. We could have went out there. Just, you know, whatever. Just, you know, money's money. It comes and goes. I should have just went out, and I could have watched you win a million dollars. You could have, but you didn't. Now you'll have to live with that for the rest of your life. Flag on me. Wait, 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 wait. You won a million dollars in Vegas? No. No. In New York, he won the PFL championship, and he won a million dollars on New Year's Eve in New York City. No shit. In the Big Apple... New Year's Eve, the biggest place to be on New Year's Eve, and you win the jackpot by knocking some dude out. Well, I didn't knock him out, but I made him quit. He was too hurt, so he quit. He tapped out? No, he just, just, in between rounds, he's just like, I'm not coming back out. What round was that? After the third. After the third of five? Yeah. Wow. Wow. How many years ago was that? He was a six-to-one favorite. That was a year and a half ago. Just a little background on OC, Dave. I would never watch any of these fights live, but I would always watch them after. I watched his fights with my hands covering my eyes because what OC would do is get the dog bleep beat out of him the entire fight, and then in like round four or five, he would just catch a dude with his huge lumberjack fist. He would just catch a dude in the grill, and then he would win the fight. It was the most ridiculous. It would be like watching a baseball game, and, and OC's down – Two to nothing, four to nothing, eight to nothing, ten to one. And then all of a sudden, he scores 15 runs in, like, the eighth inning or whatever, and he wins the game. It was the most ridiculous thing to watch as, like, him being my friend because I couldn't watch him get plumbled the entire fight and then finally win. It was fine, though. It all worked out. Yeah, it did. A million dollars, I would say so. 
Did you get a belt for that, OC? Do you have that, like, hung somewhere in your house? No, the belt is in a freaking box under our bed in our guest room. Is I would have nice, that over my nice front belt? door. If I want a belt, I would have that hanging over my front door. That's actually nice. It's, like, heavy. It's nice. Why don't you put that in one of those, like, little glass cases? I don't care about that shit. You're crazy. I want a first-team all-league in junior college, and I have that medal hanging above my bed. If I want a championship belt for knocking somebody out, I would have that thing framed. I would have lighting. It would be above my front door with security so that nobody could see it. But I would have that. You would enter my house looking at my belt above my front door. Yeah, dude, I have – it's like we got, like, a nice wood box. guy here does, like, etching on wood, laser etching on wood, so – we got like a nice wood box, and so my belt and the gloves I wore and my wraps, like that you cut the tape off, you know, and all that stuff with the dude's dried blood all up in the tape. All that <laughs> stuff's in the box. So it's a nice little memento, but that box is underneath a guest bedroom bed. You need to be having that on display. Nah, it's all right. Okay, let's get to this shit. Is Gabo right. joining us? Oh, no, you know him. Sometimes he just likes to join in whenever. He might have some work stuff. I'm not sure. We'll see. If he joins, he joins. His little head just going to pop up in the corner. <laughs> yeah, like last time. Yeah. All right. Sean O'Connell right here. Zachariah, he doesn't want you to know his last name right there. <laughs> you don't need to know my government. <laughs> Great Face Dave is here as well. It's OC, NZ, and friends. Hey. Welcome, fellas. <laughs> What's up? You know the format. Rona rant. Little sports topic. Some viewership recommendation. What's your Rona rant today? This is going to be an odd one, pretty obscure. But basically, when I got into sports broadcasting, I used to listen to music all the time. My two genres are hip-hop and R&B. I like other stuff. I like Louis Armstrong. I like Bob Marley. But mainly, it's 90s for the most part, hip-hop and R&B. And when I got into sports broadcasting, I really stopped listening to music. Like, I'm not up on the latest stuff. I'll know a few, you know, Drake things or something like that. But for the most part, I don't know who these guys are, Little Boozy or, you know, whatever, uh, Small D or, you know, whoever these guys are. I don't really know who they are anymore because I just put myself, I immersed myself in sports when I was doing sports broadcasting, whether it was watching a sports show or an actual game or a 30 for 30 or a documentary, whatever. The, bo the bottom line was I stopped listening to music for the most part when I got into sports broadcasting. But as there is not a lot of live sports, I have been listening to more music. And so this Rona rant's going to be weird, but this is to all you R&B singers out there, okay? Just stop it with the impossible expectations that you are giving these women. It, it's similar to, like, a romance movie also, but these R&B singers are out here selling the world, telling these girls that there is nothing that is important to me other than you and your happiness, talking about anything you say I'll do because I only want to make you happy from the bottom of my heart. It's true. These guys are out Joe? here. <laughs> these girls are listening to this and then they bring those expectations home with them and they're like look joe's on the radio telling me that anything i say he will do and you won't even take the trash out it's i mean it's really ridiculous or it'd be just sing realistically be like Baby, every once in a while, I'll get you flowers, and I won't forget our anniversary. And, you know, sometimes I might forget to take the trash out. And, yeah, maybe I wasn't listening to you at midnight as you were ranting about your best friend and what she did when you guys went out and had dinner. You know what I'm saying? Sing about the real. Don't be giving these women unrealistic expectations. That is my Rona rant, OC. You know what? I need for this to happen, okay? I, I think Brian McKnight probably has my favorite R&B voice. 
Brian McKnight, I want you to release an album that is just Zachariah's realism requirements. Like, just can you imagine that? You get a nice little hook, you get this beautiful instrumental in the background, and you get just the dulcet tones of Brian McKnight coming and just being like, I'm probably gonna forget our anthem first. <laughs> Baby, sometimes I'm gonna skip the foreplay and get right to it. <laughs> sometimes I just wanna play video games 24 hours a day. Like, no, I don't wanna go see your parents tonight. <laughs> <laughs> your sister's the most annoying person on the planet. Just, <laughs> I need, I need a. Oh man, that would sell. I mean, I think only the guys would buy it, but <laughs> that would sell. Oh, they would. That's the best Rona rant you've ever given us. That would be incredible. <laughs> Just lowered expectations. Are yes. it's not about romance; it's about realism. Yes, yes. Because I'm telling you, these women watch these soap operas and these mo- these love movies, and they listen to these R&B songs, and then they bring them home to you. Next you're, thing you know, you're going to together. You're going to change every single diaper because I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yes, you kind of look a little fat in that dress. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is uh, uh, this is a novel concept. All right, great taste, Dave. What do you have for us? Well, I'm gonna stay on a positive note, I guess. Uh, my wife and I were going stir crazy being in the house. I guess my Rona ran is that we got out of the house and we're on a new routine where we're doing a little Pokemon Go every night for about two hours and walking about three miles or so, collecting stops and conquering gyms. So that's my little Rona ran. Nice. That is good for the exercise. I had no idea that that thing was still going on because I heard about it every day for about two to three weeks or something, and then I haven't heard about it since. I didn't even know it was still going. Oh, since it started, it's gotten somewhere in depth. It's a really good game, and, and it keeps you involved in it, and it actually does what it needs to do, which is get you out and exercise. I've changed the parameters of, you know, the social distancing, so, like, you can gather stops a little bit further than you normally would, so you don't have to <laughs> gather around, you know, in groups and stuff like that. They have changed some stuff of the coronavirus, but, yeah, it's, it's a fun game to get you out and keep you going. That's downright wholesome, great face, Dave, and I love it. Thank you. Uh, my mild Rona rant here is about door-to-door salesmen. I, <laughs> I thought just you can you can just stop right there. Are, are, are people still doing door-to-door? Did someone try to sell you a vacuum or some knives or something? No, it was a. Uh, there's like Comcast, Xfinity, or whatever. That's like the big parent company. Then they have like all these little like independent contractors that hook you up with it and yeah. like you know all that stuff. So those people are constantly just going through these, the neighborhoods. And I thought that if there are any mild positives to social distancing and the anxiety surrounding a global pandemic, I thought one of the mild positives would be that people stop knocking on your door trying to sell you <laughs> stuff. Just, you would think. You would think just like, no, I don't, I don't even want people I know close to me right now. I certainly don't want you here. Telling me that you're going to save me $4.95 a month on my cable and internet subscription. So yesterday I was out in the front yard with my adorable daughter and my big, huge dog. And she was just playing in the grass or whatever. Beautiful day, about 80 degrees in Salt Lake City. And I see some kid, probably in his mid-20s, with his little uniform hat on. And he was going around knocking on everyone's door and trying to sell them some form of internet service or whatever. And 
My dog is actually really sweet and docile, but if he doesn't know you, he'll act scary towards you at first. He'll, like, bark and run towards you a little bit. And <laughs> normally, I see people coming, and I don't want them to get scared by him, so I just kind of, like, preemptively grab him and get him closer to me because then he won't do that. But I saw this kid coming, and I was just like, <laughs> listen, door-to-door sales kid, I'm going to let my dog scare you. Oh, <laughs> you let him do work? <laughs> And, of course, he gets up off the grass and he just, like, takes a little half, half-ass half run towards this kid. And he's, of course, scared because it's a 130-pound dog. Yeah. <laughs> then he kind of stops. I call the dog back to me. He kind of stops like, uh, and I'm like, no, I don't want what you're selling. Just keep going. So, look, door-to-door salesman, there's other methods. Just stop with this. Yeah. I actually have a just a quick small story that's similar to that. So I live in the Berkeley Hills, and Euclid is like a really popular street for people to jog and walk on. And if it's a nice day, I'll just leave my front door open, which means that Nash, who's like 100 pounds or whatever, and my other dog, Ruby, they have access to the front gate. Now, we put a gate to keep them in because Nash was running through the neighborhood wild. But the fence is up now, and I used to, like, when they would bark at people that were walking by, I used to go, Nash, and I would call him in and tell him not to do it. And now I said, you know what? I'm just going to let him do it because I want people to know that there's dogs at this house, number one. And number two, I don't want you walking by my house. So maybe next time you'll cross the street, and then I don't have to deal with people walking in front of my house. So now I just let them loose. Not like loose. I mean, there's still the fence there, but I let them go right to the fence and bark their asses off at them. Get the hell out of my – get the hell off my block. Gabe joined us. Gabo's here. Gabo! OC, hey, you being in Salt Lake City, do you get the, the Mormons <laughs> coming door to door? Less than you do, probably, because Salt Lake City is already very heavily influenced by the church. Yeah, they, don't need, they, they don't need to do it. They don't need to do it in Utah. I remember when I was out there, I looked something up, and Salt Lake is like the only city in Utah that's even close to 50% non-Mormon and 50% Mormon. Every other city is like well over. Yeah, it's like Salt Lake itself is like 50-50, but like if you go to the suburbs, if you go to Provo where my wife is from, it's like 90-10. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, they don't need to be going door-to-door in Utah. They're, they're good there. You said missionaries here, but it's probably more likely that you're going to see them than I'm going to see them. I have had OC in my house for quite a while, a sign right there on the front door that says, you know, do not disturb quarantine in progress. I didn't say anybody is necessarily contagious. I just said we're quarantining out here. <laughs> it's Again, not a idea. Might not actually be necessary because, you know, my neighborhood a little more hood than y'all, so they don't normally answer here anyway. <laughs> I like that, though. That's a great way to keep people away. Just like hang a flag, like a, one of those pirate plague flags, you know. Generally. I mean, the other downside is if they knock around here, they're usually knocking, hoping that you're not home so that they can do something else. So, What's my connection today? Is it buttery? It's no. buttery. It's lathered and soaked in nothing, but I can't believe it's not butter. Because I'm getting amazing connection over here on the Wi-Fi. That's <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, so hey, let's get, get into some sports, huh? It's so much better. All right. Now, the next part of our OC and Z and Friends podcast, after our Rona rants, <laughs> we usually get into sports topics. And look, there's a lot going on in the sports world right now, despite live competition still sort of yet to come back in the pro sports leagues. There's a lot going on that we can talk about. And I don't know where – what's the most pressing thing for you, Zachariah? Is there anything that you want to talk about first? If it was just me doing a solo 
podcast, I would discuss the baseball and the offer that the owners made, essentially where the players already agreed to take a haircut earlier in the year. I think it was April. And now the owners are asking them to take another pay cut. So basically they agreed to just do it the prorated amount. So if you play 81 games, you get half your salary. Now the owners are asking them to take half of the half, which is essentially if you make 10 million, they agreed to make 5 million. Now they're asking for two and a half million. So now it's 75% of a haircut that they're asking them to take. And I just think it's going to be – I don't know where the fans are going to side because I'm a fan and I'm siding with the players right now. But I think there's going to be a lot of fans that side and just say, stop complaining. There's tons of people that are unemployed. You're going to get paid to play a game. Just go play. But I think it needs to be – and I think this is, the players are supposed to make a counter offer before the end of the week. And I think they're going to counter. And the biggest thing is what I think the players are saying is, why don't you show us what you're losing? If you're going to make us lose, if we have to take a hit because of what's going on, what sort of hit are you taking? Because attendance was already down, but, you know, revenue was still going up. And that's because of TV deals and whatever else goes into the revenue. But if the owners don't show, like, look, we're going to lose 75%, so we're asking you to lose 75%. If it's not apples to apples, then I just don't know how the owners are going to – now, granted, this was the first offer, so maybe they just made a shitty offer because that's what you do in negotiations. You go in, if you're buying a $20,000 car, you say, I'll give you 10000 hoping that you're going to get it to 15000 So I don't know, but it'll be a damn shame if they don't play baseball, and it's not because of this horrific pandemic, but it's because of dollars. Well, the pandemic was an opportunity for ownership to potentially sort of redistribute wealth and power to favor themselves once again because – that's something that in the NBA and Major League Baseball, right, no salary cap in Major League Baseball, a soft cap in the NBA, means that the revenue distribution favors players in a way that it doesn't in other leagues. And that the revenue distribution equals power, basically. So even though the NFL has a healthy revenue split, the power is still firmly with the owners. In the NBA and in Major League Baseball, players still have a ton of power. And the owners, it looks like, are sort of nefariously using this as an opportunity to try and seize some of that power back and try and exert some influence. And, and they're going to lose some money compared to, obviously, a normal season. Everybody else is. But the idea that players, in principle, agreed to, yeah, all right, we get it. We'll go halvesies, all right? We give a little, you give a little, and everyone gets baseball back. And then the ownership saying, well, like you're saying, we need that 75% pay cut for all of you guys. And if you're Mike Trout and your 75% pay cut goes down, you know, from 40 million to 10 million, okay, you're still fine. And fans are going to look at that and they're going to see like, just get your ass back on the diamond and play some ball. And that might be the proper reaction. But if you're not a guy of that stature, if you're someone a little bit further down the roster, you're someone in the minor league system and you're seeing teams cut your pay completely because they're no longer concerned with your development, that's not something that the fans should be on the side of the ownership. That's something where fans should understand that the owners have nothing in common with you. At least some of these players are from your neighborhood, right? So I don't know where the pressure is going to be, but everybody wants all of our sports back. I don't know if I would do it for 25% of my salary. I'm siding with the players here, but I'll go a step further than what you guys mentioned. And Let's take a step back for a minute and talk about the relationship between owners and players in sports with guaranteed, okay? Because in that relationship, 
What the player gets out of it is certainty. They're saying, I'm signing on the dotted line. I'm getting paid X for this amount of work, this duration of the contract. And it's guaranteed. It's coming no matter what. The owner is then the one speculating. So if the player overperforms that contract, the owner's getting a bargain. They're getting a deal. They're not having to pay extra. They're getting more production than what they paid for. That's the situation that we saw about Scottie Pippen with the Bulls. It was agreed upon contract. He outperformed it. So the owner took a risk. And then the owner reaped the rewards. It was a good investment by the owner. And when we talked about that situation, I was supporting the ownership because I said, hey, a contract's a contract. If you overperformed it, great. But we're not going to renegotiate and give you extra money to make good. What's happening in baseball is the flip side of that same situation. The owner signed up for a contract. They have a liability, which is this is the money that's coming being paid to the players. And now that their revenues are lower. They're asking for a bailout which I'm not going with because if the owners were printing money and selling out tickets and the TV deals were exploding, they weren't going to go back and renegotiate and give the players extra money more than their guaranteed contract. So the trade-off here is the players get a guaranteed salary and the owner is the one that takes the risk. So when the owner makes a profit on the risk, he doesn't splash extra money to the players. And now he's taking a bath and taking a loss for them to subsidize his losses. So if I was the players, I'd hold firm on this. There's a lesson here in sports and really in the rest of life, the sort of desperation right now for a lot of people to get back to business, get back to work, and even for these sports owners to push and get back. That desperation is inversely proportionate to need, or I should say to power. So the UFC got back quicker than anybody, right? <laughs> yeah. That's because the athlete's a maniac. But that's, but that's also because the athletes were just like, I don't care if someone's spraying me with an Ebola virus hose. I need to get paid. And the only way I get paid is by fighting, right? Such a bad visual. Sprayed with an Ebola virus hose. Not just virus. You're just splashing in your face. Oh man. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Look, fighters are crazy people anyway, but. The situation with their contracts is there's no guarantee, there's no revenue share. It's just like you get ten grand to fight, and if you win, you get another ten grand. You know, yeah. and everybody knows this, so they were just like, I got to get back to work. I don't know when my next guaranteed payday is. The NFL, they're going to go pretty much to business as usual. There's going to be very few restrictions and very few flexibilities exercised by ownership because, again, NFL players. Uh, they don't have the same kind of revenue share. They also don't have the same kind of power. There are very few guys in the NFL that can sit there and say, no, nah, man, don't feel safe about this. Don't feel good about this. Don't feel like this. you're doing the right thing, ownership, so I'm not going to play. Probably like what? Like maybe 5%, 10%? Pat Mahomes can say whatever he wants, and the Chiefs just have to bend over and do what he says. But there's not even really anybody else on the Chiefs roster that get to act like that, right? Because there's very maybe few. Tyree Kill, maybe Honey Badger. Maybe. But, yeah, no, I'm with you. There's very few irreplaceable talents, right? Yeah. Nobody feels like that about UFC fighters. Very few people in Major League Baseball are like that. But the more power that ownership has, the less guaranteed money that players have, the more likely a desperate return to business is for the players and for the owners. The owners are the ones who benefit from it, right? Dana White benefits from the fact that his fighters are desperate to get paid, so they'll fight in, under any circumstances in any conditions. And Major League Baseball and the NBA, those players are in a slightly better balance of power situation, so they get to 
exercise a little bit more caution as they return. And the NHL, I put them in a different category because you have to be a lunatic to be a professional hockey player. So it's just like in their blood. Hockey players, they like their money, but they will play for free. And also, even the biggest contracts in the NHL are not generational, life-altering money in most cases like you get with NBA money and certainly with Major League Baseball money. So it's fascinating to look at the inverse proportion to power and desperation to return to business. Because if you're an athlete like LeBron James, you're fine if you don't come back this season. You really are. So there's no urgency there. If you're even one of the better fighters in the UFC or if you're a pretty damn good hockey player, you're like, all right, we got to get back to it because I need money just like the owners want. Couple things. Number one, Dave just went to go get like a blunt wrap or something because he's about to roll up. When he came back into the screen, he looked like he was in the same room as you on this video call that we got going. Just wanted to throw that out there. Number two, I think I've mentioned this before, but I would, even if I have, I want to mention it again. How lucky did the NFL get? Okay. This whole pandemic hits after the Super Bowl. So they have no interruption for their season. They have the draft, which is like the highest rated draft in the world because everybody's bunkered into their houses. So they're, you know, everybody watched the draft. Free agency went off the same because, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they did with the physicals, but for the most part, it went off without a hitch. And now they have the luxury of sitting back. And because their season doesn't start until the fall, they can sit back and wait and watch every other major sport. They're talking about hockey coming back, baseball, basketball. NASCAR is already back. Golf's going to come back. Tennis, they're going to be able to watch every other sport come back and learn from their mistakes, take the good, get rid of the bad. The NFL, this couldn't have been, I mean, it's horrible to even say couldn't have been better timing. But for the NFL, it couldn't have been better timing. It came down right after their season ended, and they're going to be able to learn a shit ton until their season starts back up. You're right. Anyways, I, I don't really have much else on this. I'm interested to see what the players are going to come back with. Like, they can't just come back and have the same exact offer that they agreed to earlier in the year. I mean, I guess they could, but my guess is they're going to do a little bit of a concession, but it's not going to be nearly as much as what the owners are asking for. And I think the bottom line is figure it out. You know, I mean, owners, try not to be so greedy. Players, try to figure out something. Again, it seems like we're all on the player's side. I don't know that that's going to be the sentiment of America. Oftentimes when there's lockouts or there's, you know, work stoppages, fans get mad at the players saying that they're greedy, you're playing a game, you're getting paid millions, anybody would kill to switch shoes with you. They never usually go after ownership. I don't know why, but that's usually what happens. It's because players are the face that you put on this product, right? So if ownership was the one that was out front and people were talking to and about ownership on a daily basis on Sports Talk Radio and every other place, then people would place frustrations in the lap of ownership. But... When we think of the NFL, when we think of the NBA and Major League Baseball and everything else, you think of players. That's who you root for. That's who you watch. You don't tune in to see Jerry Jones. He's the most popular one of all, right? For so. sure. I mean, I'm guessing 95% of Southern California can pick Mike Trout out of a lineup but have no idea who the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, looks like. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's the people that they're familiar with, but – if you actually read an article, it's crazy to side with the owners pretty much ever. I mean, I feel the same way when there's a new collective bargaining agreement in the NFL. And that's the owners, as you said earlier, 
The owners run the NFL more than any other sport. Baseball is the most powerful on the player side. Basketball is somewhere in between, but closer to baseball than football. But I have the same thing when I'm looking at the concessions. Like basically the NFL owners in this last CBA were like, they did give a pretty big bump in terms of the sharing of the revenue, but they basically just said, okay, you guys, you guys are allowed to smoke weed. There won't be suspensions for weed. Like that was the only concession basically that the owners gave. So yeah. And they took away like disability benefits and like, some retirement benefits for players. And it was just like, and it's again, it's because the owners are in a place where they could really, realistically, their revenue could shut down for years at a time and they personally would be fine. But they know that most of their players are not in that situation. Very few of their players are in a spot where they can really hunker down and wait for union lawyers to battle it out for two seasons with the NFL. You don't get a paycheck for two seasons. A lot of guys in the NFL are broke. And owners just aren't like that. So, yeah, there's this crazy imbalance of power. And you're right. It's odd that fans, in almost every case, blame the players when labor disputes happen. But it's just because of an ignorance thing. It's because you know who the players are. You don't know who the ownership is. And you don't really know where to direct your anger except for something that's familiar to you. It definitely comes down to what OC was talking about earlier is the willingness to walk away, or in this case, not show up. I mean, and this is not a mystery. We see it in any type of negotiation. If you go to a used car lot and you're trying to get the best price, here's when you're going to get it. When the guy gives you an offer and you say, okay, I'm not taking it, and you start to walk off the lot, that's when you'll get the best price if you're ever going to get it. So for the players to get, they could, to what you said, Zach, they could come back and say, you know what? No, here's our offer. Take it or leave it and play chicken with the owners. And so everything that OC mentioned is true in that the owners have more wealth, so it's easier for them to ride out the storm than it is for the players. But when we say unions, think about unions in any other industry, you have to play the long game to get the best deal because in the short term, if you're always making concessions in the short term, it's going to be big bank, take little bank, and the owners are going to take advantage of you. By the way, as long as we're talking about baseball, your beloved Oakland A's with the pennants hanging in your room behind you, Zachariah, continuing (laughs) to set the standard of just scumbag ownership and they're the first ones to shut it down, the first ones to alienate minor league players, the first ones to pinch a penny, save a dollar. They're cutting off the $400 a week stipends of their minor league players, $400 a week. And they're just like, like they could pay for the next few months. I think someone did the calculation. It would cost a million dollars to pay them until like October. And they're still not doing it. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder. I have to mince my words here, OC. Um, I used to do the A's pre and post, but I mean, they need a new stadium so bad. And they've been going through that for damn near a decade, more than that, trying to get a new stadium. They need it bad. They're the last team in Oakland. The Warriors went to San Francisco. The Raiders are in Vegas. They can own Oakland and they just can't figure it out with the city. But yeah, as you were saying, some rough math, say there are 200 players in a minor league system paying each $400 a week for June, July, and August is $5,200 per player. To every minor leaguer would have cost the Oakland A's a hair over a million dollars. Owner John Fisher is worth an estimated $2 billion. Yeah. And then my buddy texted me back, yeah, I'm worried about owner-player relations. Not sure I see this working out. Looks like the gap the company Fisher owns is down 58% this year and is close to bankruptcy. I think his boat is leaking and might be close to selling the team. Which would be the best thing possible for the Oakland A's. Yeah, because they need somebody to come in and pay for the stadium themselves. They're not going to get, they're not going to get much, if anything, from Oakland. 
If your ownership, if their fortune is based in retail and retail is suffering, fine. A new ownership might be the solution here. But the thing here, and again, it speaks again to your point of owner-player relations and where the fans side with that, right? Something like this in the long term is damaging to the Oakland A's because those minor league players, let's say two of those minor league players that got screwed end up being all-star caliber guys, they have no interest in remaining with Oakland. They have no interest in coming to Oakland as free agents. They have no interest in staying there if they're traded to Oakland because you would remember that someone did you dirty before you became somebody. So oh, you're not. Are you kidding me? Baseball players being other baseball players from something that happened years ago. <laughs> they have memories of an elephant. So they're not going to forget any of this stuff. And you're totally right. That's all going to factor in on whether or not they want to take a hometown discount or sign with them at all. They're probably going to be bitter, and they're never going to forget that, and they're going to be like, go F yourself. Yeah. And obviously, the, Oakland has a terrible track record of keeping the all-star talent that they develop anyway. That's That hasn't been their business model, but... It's, uh, it feels like this whole situation is just going to aggravate that. I mean, first of all, all we talked about was money. They still haven't ironed out all the things in terms of safety. Like Mike Trout's wife is pregnant. Is he going to be away from her? Is he going to bring her there? How are they going to deal with all the health things, which you'd think would be the more complicated thing. But I was also just going to say, obviously, there's going to be no fans for the foreseeable future. And I'm just starting to get used to that. I mean, granted, I'm watching Korean baseball and golf and and UFC. It might be different when it's basketball and baseball and football or whatever, but I'm starting to get used to no fans. I don't know if sports will ever rebound and come back to be the same product from a spectator perspective that we're used to. I don't know if stadiums will ever be full in the same way that they used to be just because of the increased awareness of this, because of the economics for people. I mean, there's a lot of factors that will weigh into whether or not folks are going back, renewing season tickets and things like that. I mean, some people won't be able to afford it, period and point blank, because the economy uh, has been hit by this just like every other thing has. And then some people might be worried about the fact that, uh, you know what, this exposes me to a risk that I don't really see anywhere else in my life. I mean, even if you go to your workplace, there might be 100 people in that building. You're not gathering in a spot with 20,000 other folks. The risk is lower if it's 100 than if it's 20,000, just from a statistical perspective. So now I don't know if we're ever going to get sports back to where they used to be. I was happy you brought up the grudges that baseball players hold, right? <laughs> Yeah. This is something that I, I didn't even put in my notes, and I, I definitely am glad we're going to get to here. The Houston Astros had an absolute reckoning coming their way this season as soon as we got back to baseball. Agree or disagree? There was going to be balls thrown. Guys were going to get beamed. There was, I mean, no franchise is happier that this went down than the Astros because that was like leading sports center. The spring yep. training games, and people were already getting thrown at in spring training games, and you know, especially, who did they beat? They beat the Dodgers. You know the Dodgers, and then you know the teams that they beat to get there, like the Yankees. Those players on those teams specifically came out after they got punished and talked about how they felt like they got robbed. And, of course, that is because the hardest thing about baseball is trying to guess what the pitcher's going to throw or at least having the reaction to adjust to whatever the pitcher throws. So if you know what's coming, baseball becomes a whole hell of a lot easier. So, yes, OC, that was going to be probably the main story headline going into this baseball season was going to be how the Astros were treated, and they were going to get beamed up and down. So my question is, as soon as we get this labor dispute taken care of, you get the details of safety ironed out, you get back to baseball – 
How long, how sustainable is that grudge? I can hold a grudge, Zachariah, for many years, okay? I'm an old goat when it comes to biting down on a grudge. And baseball, a game that's all about nuance and tradition and history and the unwritten rules, it feels like they still aren't going to get let off completely, but will they get let off easier or are even, you know, the teams that have been hardest hit by coronavirus and most concerned about coronavirus are even those teams, once we get back to baseball, going to be like, oh, it is on, Houston Astros. We owe you this. And maybe it'll be worse because everyone's so frustrated. I think that it's going to go down. I would say whatever backlash they would get is going to go down by like 25% just because people are going to think, you know, there's bigger stuff going on. We're bringing the game back to America and, you know, let bygones be bygones. Not completely, but I would say it would be reduced by like 25%. And just going on what you were saying about holding a grudge, the story that I was specifically thinking of, I don't remember who the pitcher was or who the player was or whatever, but it was an interleague game. And as you know, OC, you don't play, if you're in the American League, you don't play the same National League teams every year. I mean, the A's play the Giants every year, and the Mets play the Yankees every year, but you play different other National League teams or whatever. It's every few years that possibly that you could see a team. And that's what it was. It was like three or four years later, some guy retaliated for something that had happened when they had played an interleague years before. So, yeah, I mean, baseball players don't forget, and I still think that Astros are going to face backlash, and I mean, I guess there won't be fans in the stands holding up cheater signs like there was in spring training, but I do think it'll be reduced a little bit. They'll get off the hook a little bit. I hope they do hold those grudges because that's something that we've seen. I think sports growing up, professional players were more contentious, and I think in the modern era, guys are more likely to kind of be friends with people on other teams and all kind of say, let's get along, let's all get paid, all this kind of stuff. So... I'd like it if it was they maintain the grudges in kind of a throwback manner. And to take it a step further, I think it would be funny if the Astros, we heard all the apologies that the Astros did, and they were fake as a $3 bill, right? I mean, it was just a complete joke. So bad. Whoever, so bad. Sorry to interrupt. Whoever the PR guy is in Houston needs to be fired because they handled that so poorly. If they had just came out and just laid it all out, and just been honest and been, you know, looked like you had some remorse, I think that not only would they get less backlash from the players, but certainly from the fans. But the way that they handled it was like, didn't have an effect, MBD, yeah, our bad, kinda, whatever, we're moving on, blah, 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 blah. It was a horrible, horrible apology. Anyways, go ahead, Gabe. Well, I'd love to see the Astros go oppo and say we're going to be the heel and just come out in press conference and say, man, we got to figure out some new ways to cheat. I don't know what to tell you, but there's no fans in the stands. It's a different environment. We're playing in different stadiums. There's got to be an opportunity there. We've got guys that we've hired specifically to figure out our new angle. Game on. You want them to treat it like wrestling, like WWF, like Randy Savage, just lean into it? That's a great idea. Yeah. I said we've got, we, we called up Belichick to get some tips from him <laughs> on different ways you can steal signs, and they're just they're going to be in it. They do a trash can giveaway night at their own home stadium. <laughs> so good. You know, we said there's, they might pump in fan noise. They're going to pump in thumping sounds while the guys are pitching over the PA system. Yeah, well, that is Houston Astros hired this man for the job. That's the best idea I've ever heard. Uh, I, I never even thought about that. You know how they say, like, if you do something stupid or embarrassing or whatever, the best thing to do is make fun of yourself because it kind of diffuses everything? <laughs> it's like, basically, that's what Gabe's saying. Like, rather than fight it and try to play it off or whatever, just, yeah, we're cheating. 
We've been watching Belichick on Deflategate and Spygate. You know, we're working on all that stuff. You're not cheating. You're not trying. Tell them. <laughs> yeah, they can have T-shirts when they're warming up before the game. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Be perfect. That's I like the best it. idea I've heard. That's, by the way, I hope, double down, cosign, whatever, I hope that the venom is just as strong towards the Houston Astros because baseball needs some storylines whenever they get back to business. They need something to juice it back up because they're going to have more competition this year than they usually have. They're going to have to be competing with the NBA, the NHL, pretty soon the NFL and baseball, all going to be running at once. And I promise you, Baseball is going to be fourth out of four, a distant fourth out of four, if they don't come up with something interesting for the fans. And people throwing at Astros' heads is going to be interesting, for better or worse, for the fans. So for the past 15 years, I've gone to this thing that we call, well, it's called something I can't say, Seafest. We'll just call it Sausage Fest. And basically, it's all my friends that are married with kids or whatever. We always get together for the first weekend of the NFL season. And... Everybody is hoping, obviously, that it goes back and we can actually do it. We usually go to Tahoe, sometimes Southern California. But we all get together. We get a huge Airbnb. It's like 20 guys, and it's, you know, no wives allowed. It's like the only time the married guys can get out. It's like their one hall pass for the year. But my buddy texted me. He said, if everything goes as it looks like it's going, we're not only going to have the opening of the NFL season, but we're going to have the NBA Finals, which would be so weird if the NBA Finals were sometime in early September, which is normally when the NFL season starts. All right. Let's get to a little viewership recommendation here, our final stage of the OCNZ and Friends podcast. You caught anything uh, anything novel lately? <clears throat> zero, zero, zero is the name of it. And it's essentially about cocaine going from Mexico to Italy, but then it's through this shipping company from Louisiana, and there's a mix-up, and it has to get rerouted towards Africa. Basically, all you need to know is it's about cocaine smuggling. And, like, I watched every single version of Narcos. I don't know if you've watched any of those. I watched the Mexican one. I watched the, you know, I watched every single, if if there's drugs and violence going on, I'm pretty much in. Kind of like you with crime thrillers or FBI stuff or whatever. You like, we talked about this on the last cast. You had a certain type of movie or show that you liked. I don't even remember. It was a Gabe recommendation, and you were like, that's right up my alley. It was about, like, a guy that could, like, predict the future or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyways, I love cocaine. I love drugs and violence, so zero, zero, zero. (laughs) Did you just on your own podcast say, I love cocaine? Okay, I love (laughs) shows and movies about drugs and weapons. I'm definitely editing that out. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) Indeed. Zachariah just goes public with I love cocaine. <laughs> it explains your personality quite a bit. I've actually be- never tried the booger sugar. Here's a good story, OC. I was at a house party. There was probably, you know, 50 people there or whatever. And this dude comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, you want to go uh, want to go hit the bathroom or whatever? I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man, you want to do a line? I was <laughs> like, nah, I've, I've never done that. And he goes, oh, for real? He's like, I thought you were on it for sure. He's like, hey, do me a favor. Never do it. Because I thought you were on it, and if you actually do it, you might explode. <laughs> you like, might. <laughs> he was like, he was sure that I was on blow. So sure that he came up to me and asked me if I wanted to go to the bathroom with him. And he was like, oh, if you're not on cocaine, never do it. Because you're, <laughs> you literally, you might explode. Dude, when I first started working security, doing doors at like clubs and stuff, and I was working at Sundance, uh, the film festival in Park City, Utah. I didn't know the vernacular, right? Like, I was just a sweet, innocent boy that was in college and didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know what people were talking about, like, when there's, like, 
hey, you party? You know, that, that oh, yeah, that's code word for sure, yeah. Like that, but it's like the heavy-weighted do you party, not like, hey, do you want to go to a party? It's just like, yeah. bro, you party? Yeah. And, like, I didn't really know what people were saying when they were asking me that. So like, I'd be like, uh, no, I'm just working, man. And, like, probably the first – the first like five or six times that people asked me that, I was so confused. And then I finally brought it up to one of my coworkers. And I'm just like, what are people asking about with this, do I party? And he's just like, oh, you idiot. They want to know if you have drugs or if you want drugs. It would have been funnier if you said, yeah, I like to party. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you can catch me at a house party. I'm like, yeah. Like birthday parties, Christmas parties. <laughs> and then he busts out some blow and you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So my younger, more innocent self didn't know like the code words. And so yeah. I'm, working at, I'm working at the door at a place where like, you know, big time celebrities are having their private parties during Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> that, whole scene, that whole scene is obviously rife with drugs and recreation and For all sure. sorts of debauchery. And I'm just some gomer standing at the door just like, hey, man, you party? <laughs> i tell you what. <laughs> You know what's a fun time of party? Karaoke party. <laughs> I used to love pizza parties as a child. <laughs> I tell you what, you ever been to Discovery Zone, the big jungle gym? I had two birthdays back to back, third and fourth grade. <laughs> Nothing better than a six flag party. I'll tell you that right now, pal. Tell them your favorite the surprise party. <laughs> I jump out from behind the couch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, what do you got? My viewership recommendation for you. <laughs> Bear with me here, okay? All right. You guys have Disney Plus. I know that it's not really like your demographic is single males, but Disney Plus has some great programming. National Geographic, all the Pixar, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, all that good stuff. And, you know, have you seen Toy Story 4? Of course. I saw it in the theaters the day it came out. Okay. You know Sporky? Of course. There is this little series of short films on Disney Plus starring Sporky where it's like, what is, where he asks like questions that sometimes get existential to his fellow Toy Story castmates. And I don't have any idea why they made this series. They're like six minute episodes. I don't know why they take it the direction that they do. It's obviously <laughs> supposed to be for kids because it's like the cartoon characters, but the, the themes like sometimes get huge. He'll just be like, what is money? And then the piggy bank starts talking about, like, oh, well, money is this, and it's a coin, and he's just like, what? And, of course, he's sporky, so he doesn't know what he's talking about ever, and they just go on these tangents, and it takes you in all of these wild directions, and it is spectacular. It is, like, the genius humor for six minutes at a time, starring a freaking sport toy and the normal cast of Toy Story 4, and I just, I loved it. I stumbled upon it trying to give my daughter something to look at that would distract her for 10 minutes. And I ended up, she was probably, you know, crawling in the fireplace. I was watching every <laughs> single one. How many short episodes are there? I think there's like 12 short episodes and they are all fantastic. And he asks a different character each time, like, you know, Hey Rex, what is time? And then the deer has to try and explain to him what time is. It's incredible. <laughs> I got to tell my sister-in-law, is it just called Sporky? No, it's called like, what is, I don't know what the, <laughs> just tell her to look up Sporky, Toy Story. Keyword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got, Cabo? No, no viewing recommendation today. I'm a quality control guy. So if I don't have anything good, I don't think at all. Fair enough. I'm going to do it for you then and just say I've been on a weird kick 
where like every night for the past three weeks, I've been watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. I know those are staples that pretty much everybody watches, but I I had forgotten about Jeopardy. Are they still on back to back? Oh yeah, seven and seven thirty, baby. And Vanna White looks the same as she did when I was six years old somehow. Pat Sajak aged well, too. Trebek, hell, Trebek aged well. He went through a hell scare, but he looks great. They all look great, and I think they're all like 70 years old. Anyways, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy is a ton of fun. I watched one where this guy had every letter in the puzzle except for one and couldn't get it, and he had like 15 grand that he didn't win, and I almost broke my TV. What were you going to say? Vanna White is 63 years old. And still she looks, looks like she's 35. My rant on Vanna White is they changed up her job with technology. When we were kids, she would walk up to the letters and physically spin them around. Yeah, and true. She flipped them. Now she just goes and like taps it. It's like an LCD screen or something. Yeah. yeah. She basically, there's no real reason for her to be there. I mean, they yeah. could light those things up on their own. But I'm with you, Gabe. If she is going to do that and she's going to have that job, I want her flipping the letter. Exactly. I'm with you on that. We should start a ridiculous campaign. Hey, go if you want. As long as you're talking about the old classics, YouTube has collections of like the worst fails of uh, people where they get all of the letters and then they don't know how to pronounce the word or something. Oh God! And that's so I've never seen that. The one I'm talking about, he was just missing one letter. But I've yeah. never seen the whole thing is out there and they just read it wrong. How is that possible? They pronounce it wrong? Yeah, they there was one guy who had like crazy prizes, crazy money or whatever, and he, he gets all of the letters, and he pronounced Achilles, Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what if you said tomato instead of tomato? I'm sure that's fine, but Achilles would not accept it. And so Pat Sajak just comes over, and those game show hosts now, they're just so jaded, so they're not even nice about it. So Pat's just like, yeah, no, nope, sorry. <laughs> There goes your cruise to Panama and your million-dollar prize. Sorry, idiots. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. I think it was on College Week. you got to go find that one. It's The secondhand embarrassment is painful. Have you seen the South Park episode <laughs> where the dad goes up there and the, the category is like people that annoy you, yeah. and it's N blank G-G-E-R-S, and he's like, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, like, the time's going down, and he drops the end bomb and, and Sajak just looks at him, and they go, no, we're sorry. It was naggers. Yes. Yeah, people that annoy you, naggers. <laughs> His son has to go to school the next day. Oh, man, that was good. I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell that story, but it was on South Park, right? <laughs> Why wouldn't you be allowed to tell that? Hey, it's 2020 OC. You never know. Uh, I think you know. I think that one you can tell. All right. That's it. That's all we got. I got to go. Sounds good. Say hello to Mr. President for me. I've never even met your wife, so I can't even say tell your wife I said hello. Yeah, that's right. You've never met her because you didn't come to the wedding. Well, why don't you bring her out sometime when you come to the Bay? Oh, you probably, that's probably like one of your hall passes. You're like, please, let me just let me get some time away. <laughs> no, it's, you know what? It's funny because I, like, I invite her, and <laughs> I think my wife doesn't like to hang out with me because when I'm it's like, <laughs> Hey, I got a work trip. You want to come? You know, we got to, and she'll just be like, no. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to bring her at least to bring her to Cortina, to, to bring her to Healdsburg. Yeah, we, we got to do it. All right. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. We'll holler. All right. So, Bye. Bye.